0: Welcome to the Business of Fun, the podcast that pulls back the curtain on the industry's hottest games to find out what's going on behind the screens. We are going to invite mobile gaming experts to spill the tea on their game success, how they work, why they work, and what they've learned along the way. Here's your host, Jonathan Fishman. Welcome to a special episode of the Business of Fun podcast. Today, we bring you the Science of Organic Acquisition webinar, featuring industry experts Shoham Lashkar, Amy Munier, and Katie Blechnow. They'll share insights on the states of organic attribution in mobile gaming, organic marketing channels, and maximizing returns on organic user acquisition. Let's dive in.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for our webinar. So um, I'll begin just thanking everyone and welcome. We're really grateful and and happy that you're joining us today for our webinar on the science of organic acquisition. I know this topic is uh, very important for a lot of people. We've had uh, lots of changes in the ecosystem, hitting uh, paid especially iOS 14.5 privacy changes, entering a recession and paid user acquisition costs rising. So I've definitely heard a lot of mobile marketers looking at how to optimize their organic and brand channels. And uh, we really have the best people to discuss that today, experts in their field who I'm very happy to be speaking with. We have Shom Laksha, Director of App Store Optimization, also known as ASO, which is what you'll probably hear coming up. As we speak at Zynga and Amy Monier, Director of Product Marketing at Zynga. And for those who don't know, I'm Katie Blebner from the Mavens. We were formerly known as Store We create mobile technologies to optimize creatives, conduct growth experiments, and to measure performance. About five months ago, we were acquired by Zynga. So now I can very happily say that uh, Sean and Amy are my colleagues. And I'm going to hand over to you, maybe starting with Sean, to introduce
2: yourself. Thank you, Katie. Uh, So hi, everyone. I'm Sean. I'm leading the ASO team at Zynga. Uh, We are a central cross team, meaning that we support Zynga's top titles, including live games and new launches. Uh, I've been in the ASO industry for over 12 years now. And uh, before I joined Zynga, I was uh, mainly leading ASO efforts in different gaming companies, such as uh, and Ilien, 888, and also was working at Moburst and was working with the most leading mobile apps. And I started my online journey as an S- SEO manager for web brands, such as 888 and Caesars Casino. But ever since I engaged with mobile marketing, it became my passion. And so this is me in a nutshell, and I'll have Amy introduce her amazing self.
3: Thanks, Shoham and Katie. Um, hi everyone, my name is Amy. Um, I'm director of product marketing at Zynga. Uh, we have a few directors of product marketing. I currently oversee the casino division in Words with Friends. Um, similar journey to show him, I uh, started a very long time ago and I'm not going to give the date because that will give my age, uh, in search engine optimization. It was one of my first, uh, intros into online marketing, uh, really just enjoyed and loved learning how to write for Google and the algorithms that, uh, it runs, uh, which brought me into my online marketing career, uh, picked up a lot of skill sets like email marketing, affiliate marketing, lead generation. Uh, Finally, kind of finding myself as a co-founder at a previous company um, in mobile, doing both uh, B2B mobile uh, products to support uh, monetization for apps and games, as well as actually building our own apps, which were live streaming and dating apps. Uh, So I have been in the... SEO industry and the organic, as we will define that, uh, marketing industry for uh, over 12 years and uh, specifically in mobile for over nine.
1: Amazing. So you've both proven my point that uh, we should have some very interesting conversations. Um, Our agenda for today, um, since it's only one hour, we had to be limited is uh, to cover the basics of what organic acquisition really is, uh, the intricacies of organic, um, and especially versus a paid uh, user. And then we'll go into the details of how to measure success. We also hope to have time for a Q&A, so please feel free to send over your questions um, via the question part and um, I'll also show you there how we're hoping this will play out that we'll end up with um, some summary and tips to leave you with something to uh, get started with um, after. So um, I guess uh, if we don't get to cover all the questions, just a reminder that uh, we'll follow up uh, individually or separately afterwards. So definitely please share, we want to hear from you. Um, and uh yes I think I'm going to stop sharing the screen and uh, begin with all of us on screen and uh, what I think we should do first is uh, define organics um and are potentially people on the call who really know what's going on um, and have a lot of experience we're really focused in on mobile organic mobile organic acquisition obviously more from the gaming lens but um the techniques extend across other apps as well. Um, so Sean, I'm actually gonna hand to you to talk to us a little bit about how you define organics and give us some information that we can start to
2: dig into. Perfect, thanks Katie. So I would say most of the times people will define Organic UA as an activity we did not pay for, uh, users that we are getting for free. Uh, but this is far from being a true definition uh, as we do spend quite a lot on optimizing our organic visibility in the source. Whether we're buying traffic for our creative tests or spending on localizing our app stores in different regions or even spend um, on branding campaigns on its own, which is a very costly uh, campaigns that we focus on, and so organic UA to me would be all the users that were unattributed uh, to a direct acquisition channel that we track. And no, meaning we can get users from search, users that search for a specific query, users that browse the store and encountered one of our featuring placements, or even users that were exposed to our branding campaign or a paid UA uh, advertisement outside of the attribution window, meaning maybe they uh, saw an ad but didn't have the time to engage then. And then a few days later would search for us. And for all this type of of different funnels, organic funnels, we want to be discoverable and convertible uh, in the stores. And that's, um, I would say, the art behind organic optimization.
1: Makes uh, a lot of sense. I think that across, even outside of um, the mobile world, we've always known organics to be uh, being visible for a customer when demanded. We want to make sure that they find us when they're in that zone to um, be it, Enter a restaurant if we're offline, but more importantly for us, want to play a game. Um, so um, I think that's a perfect summary, actually. And uh, obviously, we'll be going into more detail around um, different types of techniques that you can use. Um, I kind of want to, though, give an overview for anyone who's not so familiar of the different types of channels of organic um, I know uh, Shoham is from App Store Optimization. I think we can summarize what that is, and and Amy as well on more of the branding efforts. It would be great if you can share.
3: Yeah, I'll take the lead. Um, so great definition of organic Shoham. I think when we think about organic channels, there's some very specific ones that Shoham will uh, talk about in the stores and then how they're registered if you go into your dev consoles and you look at your acquisition channels. Um, But I want to start at like a higher macro universe of just what organic channels may exist. And maybe some you've thought of, maybe some you haven't thought of, Um, you know, for me, I've done a lot in um, performance marketing, growth marketing, as well as brand marketing. And it can get confusing between all of those terms and, and really what they mean. And, And sometimes it's not easy to um, disassociate one from another because they all impact each other and potentially can help conversion rates uh, become higher. So I think when we're talking super high funnel, um, I know uh, top funnel means a lot of things to a lot of different people, but I'm talking pre um, anybody ever getting to your website or your store. Uh, there's ways to influence and to brand yourself. Um, I think some of the most common ways now, and it kind of depends on your product and what your age groups are. But I think some of the common ways now are um, influencer marketing, social media marketing. Um, I think when you think Gen Z, you're thinking um, how to connect with them by utilizing their peers and the platforms they're on the most. But I think if we were to step out even further where did brand marketing start we we have to look at traditional marketing and traditional marketing started with television radio newspapers uh for some of us uh, hopefully on this call that can even remember those um, they were vitally important to building a brand um at one point and to a degree still are and there's a lot of people that are much more experienced at this uh at zenga with television but You know, television still comes back into play quite a lot when you're starting to launch a new game, a new app, a new brand, um, and making sure you're reaching the masses and kind of inundating them with your messaging over and over because frequency is super important for branding. Um, So I think we have to look at what we're doing from a branding perspective and and does that fall under organic? And most likely it does. It means that, you know, we're utilizing channels uh, like Shoham said that are not necessarily trackable. They're not linear attribution. um, And they are not going to necessarily be tracked under any sort of specific campaign or specific channel or medium, depending on what you're looking on, web or mobile. So we really have to look at all the channels we might have available to us. Our budget, of course, matters in what that is. And we have to be um, a little bit nimble in how we approach that. Again, based on the kind of the life cycle and the stage of your product. So I think um, as a whole, we have a lot of different channels we can tap um, to kind of get people into the funnel, to get people to our mobile games or into our stores to check out our app. Um, And then I think um, from there, we can kind of go a little bit more into the weeds of how to separate where and how they've come to us. Um, And I think that's a pretty good definition for kind of, narrowing the macro universe down to um, kind of the storefronts. And I think, Shoham, if you want to take it from here and kind of define a little bit
2: more how organic relates to the storefronts. Perfect. So I think you've covered, you know, the the different touch points for organic. Uh, Specifically for ASO, we track mainly in-store traffic, meaning we could um, split it into search traffic, people that are searching for a certain query and browse traffic, uh, um, placements that we have on the store in the different um, uh, today tab, game tabs or any other collection uh, that we're exposed to. Um, the consoles would give us um, a good picture of how we perform on the different channels. So we depend quite heavily on um, following and monitoring the, the traffic that we see there to understand the, the overall picture. Um, and for example, if we have like the majority of our traction is coming from browse, we want to also tailor a strategy that is right for that and to um, optimize more towards uh, optimizing our creatives and convert more users because that's the first touch point in the store. And if we are seeing the majority of our users coming from um, searches of our specific brand, we would want to f- put more weight into targeting different uh, search queries that we could be um, um reachable to uh, additional users uh, that are um, searching through the store. So I would say that every app has its own mix and, you know, strategy should be derived from understanding your app's growth potential and where you could um, improve and be more discoverable and uh, in the stores.
1: Um, you've both explained that so well um, from, as you say, different parts of the funnel, but also I think both of you have highlighted it's about understanding where your audience could be, but also where your potential or additional audience could be. Obviously, with organics, what you're saying here is that it's going to have a much broader um site every more people are going to see it that you don't know what their connection is uh, to your core audience base um, and that obviously changes the way that you construct your campaigns the way you construct your creatives and everything you do I think another thing you're highlighting on quite strongly is about um, understanding what makes your product so valuable or what it is that connects to your audience I think it'd be really interesting to explore that a little bit more um you know what is what are the differences between an organic user and a ua user um do you find that there's a difference and and how do you navigate that um so sure i might i'd love to hear a little bit from you to
2: start with okay so we'll start that so is all about understanding your audience you want to understand what your relevant users are searching for, what they are exposed to, which UA ads uh, they're exposed to, what they're doing with their spare time. And, and then you would start with uh, identifying your uniqueness to the market. What's your added value? What's your use piece? How could you um, pull those users into your app in a way that they found it engaging and um, relevant? Uh, so there's a lot of ways to kind of look at that. And there's uh, also with your research, you need to understand what is your competition, different types of competition. People are competing, apps that are competing on your um, uh, targeted keywords, apps that are monetizing the best out of your category and um, apps that are, have the similar user experience. So it's all about, being discoverable to millions of users. And that's, uh, you know, the the science behind being organic. Uh, UA user and um, UA, I would say, um, advertisement user versus organic users have different intent also in the store. Usually organic user has the highest intent because he's ready to consume content now. He's searching for something actively. Uh, you just need to be appealing enough to be pulled from and to to be his selection um, once he's browsing or searching. Um, unlike in user acquisition, when a user is doing something else and then you display an ad, you might not have the time to engage right now and. Um in a later stage when you raised his awareness, he would go and search for your app or um remember that he saw this ad and engage back outside of the attribution window. So it's also important to identify the funnel and the touch points that you have with users that are very different. Um for Uh, from um, a paid user acquisition than an organic one. Uh, But don't get me wrong. Uh, UA, paid UA advertisement is a crucial uh, marketing channel um, that you should, like, it's the best channel to raise awareness of your brand, to get people even like search or trigger some interest in your brand. Um, so, But it has to be working together with also people that could find you outside of the attribution window. And that's where ASO is so important as a cl- completing growth strategy for your brands because uh, there is just uh, so much that you can do with how you brand your App, but then you actually need to capture those installs and close the loop for um, for the installation. Um, you made yeah, a great so point
1: there. Was- Sorry, jumping in because I don't want to forget um, what you said at the beginning, which was that. Um, It's about the full funnel and being aware of what your user is exposed to at all points. And I think that that can be really hard to do um, because a lot of teams have their own initiatives and it's hard to really understand what that full picture looks like. But as you said, paid and organic do have very close relationships. They're both incredibly important and understanding how they operate together and how your messaging in the app store correlates with what they're seeing in uh, the ad journey that they've gone on is is so important. I also want to show them with uh, App Store Optimization, especially for search, when users are going into the App Store, obviously with high intent to use uh, an app or a game, um, they're sort of shown all their competitors. It's like, you really have to be fighting against others. How much do you feel like you have to lean into the trust of the brand? Um, in the way that you operate and the credibility of
2: your game? So first you need to to have some kind of alignment in messaging. You can show this UA ad and then people will land on your page and not see the correlation between it. You want to keep a consistent, I would say, engagement funnel. Um, but also um, once a user was exposed in the past through your brand, he's more likely to choose you out of a list uh, in search. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's very much important. Um, you know, it's, it's the three first seconds that users would actually make a decision. You want to pop out uh, from the crowd and you also want to, to kind of engage the user in an emotional, I would say decision and for him to choose, choose you out of the the bunch. Um, you could have some different tactics to do so, but it's always great if you could work with the UA teams and drive a strategy together. So you would have the, the most, I would say, engaging and optimized funnel uh, down the line.
1: And uh, Amy, I I think it's interesting to hear from you as well, especially around um, the idea of intent. We know when someone's in an app store with that organic funnel, they're directly going into the game. But a lot of the channels you were talking about, it's not the case. You're trying to capture attention and encourage an action that wasn't necessarily thought about before. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit about you, about how you see um, the way that you would engage in those channels.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna go back to just reminding the audience with the kind of original question, which is like, how do we get to know our audience, right? How, how are we looking at that? And I think you did a great way of showcasing in the store what directional data we can use to kind of infer certain things from our competitors about potentially our audience. Um, I also think that's hugely advantageous when you're launching a new game, you don't have a core set of players to necessarily model any sort of information on. But I'm going to talk a little bit more about ha- like a live service game because I'm, I'm sitting on live games and... Um, while launching a game probably needs to be its own webinar uh there's definitely a some overlap here but i think some of the tactics i'm going to explain are more useful to people that already have a group of people that play the game so the way i think you start by knowing your audience outside of the storefront information that choham gave is actually like product out um, and and really understanding who your current users are um, and and what kind of characteristics and potentially data points you can um, get from them. So um, aligning with a consumer insights team and or a Mm -hmm vendor that provides those services that can do qualitative surveys on your users and your user experience can be extremely valuable. It's extremely valuable for marketing. I would even argue it's more valuable for product managers if they're in in here when they're designing features and and potentially uh, trying to figure out what new things they can give their audience. Um, But something I know that was really valuable that we did on on all of our games here is, is kind of archetypes, right? We, we look and we group people according to characteristics of how they use your app or game. And, and we put them in buckets and we, we name them silly names. And, and we kind of learn to personify these groups of people and, and we give them personas. Um, and I think there's two different ways of doing that. And, and I just want to kind of give uh, two different examples and, and both are, are helpful. Um, one is getting first party data, right? Like the hard demographics of your user, the things that you're used to seeing um, go into a paid acquisition campaign, like geographical locations, ages, um, you know, potentially um, other demographics, if you have the ability to to collect them first party wise. Um, I think this is what, I mean to the dawn of time when online marketing started with google ads this is what we did right we we try to figure out who we're targeting and we we put those as filters in, in demographics i think the fact that we're seeing a lot of privacy pushback on first party data and giving that data to third parties we've had to become really innovative of what other things can we learn about our users that are not necessarily demographics that are sensitive PPI, right? Like personal identifiable information, PII, sorry, you spoke there, acronyms, there's a lot of them. Um, But I think in general, you wanna stay away from PII because you're not gonna be able to share that with anybody in especially a paid user campaign. At some point, we're just not going to be able to. So, you know, it's really now learning characteristics is the way I look at it. Like, what are the defining, events and characteristics that these users as a cohort as an archetype are continuing to do so perhaps they invite their friends perhaps then and we call them the social group right or perhaps they're the overachievers and they're the ones that are constantly checking and opening your app and reopening your app and and just have this ferocious appetite for content and events, and, and we want to go after those types of users. Um, and I think this exercise is really important to do because it allows you to kind of understand what your healthy segments are and your unhealthy segments. And now from a product perspective, um, you can kind of anchor in by bringing in certain um, users working with um, Shohem's team and, and uh, the ASO team, and we identify hey, we really like these types of users that play a variety of game modes. They monetize better. So we want to work with you to design a storefront that showcases the variety of storefronts. And then we want to work with the UA team to showcase the variety of game modes we have, because those are the users that are the most valuable. Those are the ones that have the highest LTVs, whether it's paid or organic. Um, So I do think it's important to work closely with your product team, work closely with your CI team, Figure out characteristics that could help identify buckets of users and then almost use those buckets of users to inspire UA teams, inspire ASO teams to see, hey, can you guys help us narrow the top funnel and try to find um, people that have these characteristics? And I think that that is going to be predominantly the future of finding users that have a high LTVs no matter what funnel that they may convert from.
1: It's uh, it's so important because ultimately, um, you know, the product does all the speaking at the end of it. So uh, being able to loop that back. And, of course, there's other tools that even uh, from the world that uh, Shom and I know best, the App Store, the Google Play Store, are also offering tools like in-app events, live events to be able to showcase things from the product in um, these environments. So that's another technique to use once you've understood what's working really well, what are things that are being introduced to bring back engagement to encourage users who um, who want to know exactly what gameplay, what features they're going to be able to use. I want to move on to probably uh, the most complicated, but uh, the best thing about organics uh, is and the scientific part, the most scientific, how do we measure this? Um, you've both said very clearly that it's uh, organic is when it's not directly uh, attributable to a campaign. Um, so how do we go about understanding uh, impact? Where should we look um, and what should we expect? Um, so, yes, Shoham, I'm, I'm handing to you to talk us through that to start with.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I would say like installs are the key measurement metric for organic UA. You would want to measure the growth of your installs over time. And as without the ability to filter your audience by quality like you're doing with UA, you would want to drive as many installs as you can with the broadest reach. This you will maximize your returns on your. One-time investment that you have, whether it's like creative testing or optimizing for different uh, geos, uh, once you drive the majority and you're not paying for every single user, organic users like you do in, in traditional UA, you will get the you will get the growth of the users over time and a more healthy, I would say, uh, mix uh, into your app. Um, a lot of times conversion rate is a deceiving metric uh, for ASO. You I get a lot of questions from the product team, What's our conversion rate? So I wanna kind of uh, um, have my take on conversion rate and live traffic for organic. So actually, I would say conversion rate, you can' compare it into uh, to UA, a conversion rate that you have in the campaigns. The live traffic from the store, uh, the funnels, the touch point, the intent is much different uh, than you have in your um, UA advertisement. Um, The conversion rate from organic users, if someone, let's say, searches for your brand, he has the highest intent to engage with this specific app because he was searching for your brand, so the conversion rate could be a hundred percent even sometimes, um, but I would say it's more complicated uh, to measure conversion rate because over time you want to see in ASO specifically uh, with your efforts the conversion rate goes down and it's a positive signal because as as you progress and you are ranking and you're broadening your reach on different terms and you are ranking for this term that is not your brand term, uh, you would get more traction into your page. uh, But users with less intent and because we are not able to segment users and we don't want to, um, I always ask the questions, what do you prefer, 100% conversion from 100 users searching for your brand or 20% conversion from a million users search, getting to your app from different terms. So of course we'll prefer that. And that's, um, I would say the difficult uh, discussion sometimes we have uh, with people that are used to performance marketing and there they have a controlled, I would say environment to compare it to. The only way that we would um, I would say compare conversion rates of some kind is through uh, a testing environment where we um, buy specific traffic, we show them different variants of creatives and we see which creatives converts better. That's where we wanna uh, see the, the most, I would say, convertive element in the store. Other than that, live traffic is actually over time we want to see the conversion drops and our exposure uh, and reach uh, increasing uh, as well as our installs. We need to make sure that our installs are rising uh, at the same trend.
1: Yeah, I think uh, there's actually a great question that's come through that I, I want to ask because it directly relates to what you're saying. Uh, Mash asked, what would um, be the measure instruments for organic QA? I think you've- highlighted some of those but but go through that again and how do you get the return of investment short and long term and I think that's a great point what can you expect from the short term and is this more of a long game do you need to wait a certain period of time to see um, the positive trend or similar
2: okay so it really depends on your product and I think it would give us a, a nice segue to also to talk about a little bit ASA. There's some hacks that we can have from like understanding our organic, I would say, conversion rate from specific keywords. Like how uh, which keyword is more important for us to increase its visibility in the store. Uh, we can learn that from our ASA campaigns because they are... Um, I would say securing the top position for different terms. And we can see also the revenue potential for a certain keyword where we're not able to pull this data straight from the stores and um, not from all stores. Um, I would say organic marketing in general is a long run game because it takes time to build brand awareness. It takes time Um To prove to the algorithms that you deserve a certain ranking, that you engage well uh, the users, it's also a combination between how good is your product. Thankfully, Zynga has really good products, so it it it's kind of makes the, the game a bit more easier for us. Once we achieve a certain ranking, we're able to maintain it for a long time. But overall, it's a very sustainable method, I would say, because you don't need to pump in money all the time. In traditional UA, once you cut the spend, you're also cutting the installs. But in organic, once you achieve some kind of visibility, even without spending another dollar, you would still gain a lot of installs from it. Um, So I would say it's a long-time investment, and it takes time to to kind of educate the algorithms that you, um, you know, to secure your visibility and you, that you deserve a certain ranking. Uh, but overall, once you're getting to a position, it could last for years.
1: Amy, I saw you nodding there as uh, Sean said that it's a longer term play. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna assume I understand the question well. And if we're not answering the question well to the person who asked asked the question, feel free to follow up and we can be more specific. But something has taken me back to when I was a co-founder of the app companies, and when you first launch an app and you're not at a large company and you don't have a large budget to do paid UA, it feels like it takes forever. Mm-hmm for your app to rank for anything. And and it really is one of those things that uh is patience uh to shohan's point. So um, you know, I don't think Shoham or I or Katie can give you guys the exact algorithms Apple and Google use to rank apps. If we could, we probably would all be doing these webinars for like ridiculous amounts of money. But we are here today <laughs> for free. And I will tell you that um, most most of the time there's going to be, a you know, and again, Shoham, you can definitely counter my my point here. But There's a healthy mix that the Apple and Google are going to look in and where you rank for generic terms, competitor terms, and your own brand terms. Uh, Obviously, the higher intent, the higher conversion rates, the higher likelihood you'll rank higher for those. Um, Conversion rates does matter to a point, um, especially on your own branded terms, um, competitor terms, and to a point, uh, just generic genre. Um, But also, you know, downloads is going to go into that algorithm too, so... While you can sustain a ranking, uh, you kind of need some uh, install velocity to get into the charts where I think is like a range where people will actually find you. We know people aren't going, I mean, they they scroll infinitely on Instagram, but, you know, probably in the store, they're going to, you know, if you're not in the top 10, you're not going to see a dramatic effect coming from organic um, installs from a keyword. So, uh, you know, you've got to take that into account. Reviews matter a lot. Um, You know, if you're getting crappy reviews and and this is, you know, I'm squarely looking people on product side. If you have a product that's really buggy, um, you know, and people really kind of use the storefronts as their uh, customer service channel. I hate to say it as much as we all hate it. They do. So the more you can do to kind of funnel those customer service things into social or into a customer service like help desk or something else and keep them out of your storefront, the better. Um, But, you know, there's always going to be a healthy balance of how many installs you're driving, what's the conversion rate for these keywords. And also, you know, how are you rated by your users? And I think those are some of the three biggest things that Google and Apple will look at to decide, hey, do you, are you worthy of being in the top 10 for this keyword? And and you got to kind of think about it like that. And uh, the last thing I'll say, I'll turn back to you, Katie, is just I really think my personal piece of advice is Google takes longer. So stay with it if you're on Google Play and it's just taking forever to move up those charts. Google's sophisticated. They understand that they they want to keep you in what I call what we used to call the sandbox for a while um, in seo and they really want to observe you before they decide to kind of power rank you is the way i would put it um apple hopefully you would start to see more success in and moving up charts and getting more organic rankings for keywords or uh categories um faster just based on uh, my personal experience
1: yeah, you, you touched on some really important points and Google have been most uh, transparent in saying that the crash rates, the app not responding rates make a huge difference to yeah. how um, they rank you. So they do want to see, especially for newer apps, uh, more stats over time to understand whether this is something they want to put their name to in their product. Um But uh, I believe the same will extend for Apple. Uh, They just haven't been as explicit about that. Um, But yeah, there's uh, plenty of things online, I think, on our website as well about what we think might be going into those algorithms.
2: Yeah, and Google Play, I would say it's more about the user experience. They put that in their top priority They want to make sure that the user search for an app and it's the most relevant and engaging app uh, for that query. Uh, Where in iOS, we see a lot of success once we um, lift those budgets uh, and invest more because they have more of an economy uh, approach uh, in their store business approach, I would say.
1: I completely agree with that. Um, I cannot remember who mentioned this, maybe both of you, but uh, talking about uh, the value and the importance of ranking highly on your brand. Um, And I think brand keywords, brand terms come very nicely into Apple search ads because Apple has the functionality that you can advertise on keywords that are relevant and that will appear above any organic listing. Um, and I know, of course, it's very, very important in many ways to uh, run paid, uh, paid channel on your brand for ASA. But um, I'm interested to hear about what you think of that and how that has an impact on um, organics. Amy, I'm, I'm handing to you. Ooh, my turn to
3: go first in the hot seat. Yeah. All right. Um, so... Wow, uh, Apple search ads, uh, this again could be its own webinar, so I'll try to do it justice in about 60 seconds. But I think what happened with the privacy changes of the removal of the IDFA, and uh, this will go back into search ads, I promise, setting the context, um, is that we've kind of left UA, um, BI teams, uh, data sciences teams and um, just other methods like fingerprinting, deterministic kinds of probabilistic measurements in a in a whole new world where no one really knows what to do, and 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 how are we gonna really figure out who's coming, especially on Apple from organic versus paid because they changed everything on us, and I am. Um, they're still kind of understanding scan and and also how they're going to determine attribution windows. So I think what happened across the industry was that people want to play it safe and they wanted to spend where they could track. And so there was a surplus like, all right, well, Apple Search is a self-attributing network and we're going to go ahead and uh, kind of pour our budgets into Apple Search because we can measure it and we can track it. And it's really the only game in town on UA that has this really deterministic measurement and linear attribution that, you know, didn't, I don't think change dramatically after the IDFA was pulled because it wasn't being utilized in the first place. So Apple search ad just all of a sudden became like just the most exciting thing for UATs in town. And I personally, I get it because you, you can do your predictive ROAS or, ROI modeling based on that and it's, it's safe and it's, it's reliable. Um, But I think there's a danger here and I think we need to be aware of what potentially we're doing, which is we may be inflating um, budgets, especially around our branded keywords to a point where we're almost cannibalizing ourselves, meaning um, we may be bidding more to pay for somebody who would have downloaded us regardless if we had not had that app. So, you know, there's kind of a saturation point. and I actually ran, and I'm gonna do a quick shout out to Storm Maven. I ran an amazing regressive analysis on, and kind of figuring out what's that saturation point and and plotting it on an X, Y axis and kind of figuring out that sweet spot, right? Like here's how much we want to spend on brand keywords so that we have most of the share of voice and, and that we capture and, and can even play um, a game where we keep our competitors for, from capturing that share of voice, but at what point are we oversaturating our branded keywords and and we're bidding too much and we're we're paying too much to Apple when we probably would get those impressions regardless? And it's very sophisticated. I, I just want to continue to reiterate. That's why I had to work with a company like Stormaven. This this is something that a Data science person probably needs to do um, an analysis on, and probably not an average marketer. But but having um, you know a company like Stormaven or tools to be able to do that is, is extremely important. So I think when it comes to branded terms, there's there's kind of two approaches there, which is you know you have to ask yourself realistically, um, am I overspending on branded keywords? And if your brand is huge, like mega, you might be. Because a lot of people are gonna look at your brand and convert highly f- and you know, your CDR rates are gonna be high for your branded keywords because you've established that trust. You're running television, you have influencers, things like that. Maybe if your brand is brand new and, and it's just you know, it's like not well known, maybe you should spend more on your branded keywords because you're trying to solidify those placements. Um, but I don't think branded keywords as ASA should be the end all and be all of a strategy. Um, I think in some ways it's a highly complex thing to do because of the fact you're probably also getting redownloads, reattributed, um, installs in that, uh, campaign. And thus it probably needs to be investigated even further and really scrutinized. Um, but in general, I think Apple search ads can also be an, an extremely powerful thing. Um, You know, they allow us to bid on competitor terms and and we may not rank for competitors, but now we can get first position above them. Um, And we can also uh, bet on generic terms, which could be really important and valuable if you're trying to establish yourself as a leader in that category of game. So um, I don't think Apple search ads is all evil. But I do think there should be high scrutiny um, on UA spend on branded keywords. And, and I think it's a healthy conversation and I'll turn it over to show him to have with your ASO team and, and how it's gonna potentially impact their numbers and their measurement and their volume coming through organic.
2: Thanks, Amy. So, nicely done. I think you've mentioned um, and, nailed the, the reasons for ASA being uh, so successful these days. I would also say that due to the deprecation of IDFA, it's just a lot of the users that we were able to target to different networks and to kind of catch them before they arrived to the store, they were attributed to a different network. And now with less spend on different networks in iOS, and the ability to attribute them to a certain campaign, um, they're being attributed as ASA. Um, and, and it's so successful because the it's the organic funnel, actually, like the user is searching. He has the highest intent. He wants to engage. He has the time to engage, the availability to engage. So if he's gonna see something in the first position, You would engage with it um, more successfully than any other um, funnel, Um, but let's not forget that ASA has the downside of not having 100% impression share, meaning some of the users would not even see your ad if they're searching for a specific query, and there, that's where I come back back to organics and by securing the first position uh, organically, 100% of the users would see you either in the first position if there's no ad displayed or in the second position. So always the organic, I would say, visibility uh, at the top position is, um, has the highest potential to, for installs because of that specific uh, market share a market impression, and visibility for ASA. Uh, So you would want to do both. And as Amy mentioned, you want to do it in a smart way that you're not going to cannibalize any way users that you would be getting for free. Um, And use tactics that would defend uh, the first position or the ad by using other apps of your uh, company or by um, targeting specific uh, autocompletes of your own brand or competitive brands that you're not able to do through organic search, uh, through organic optimization and also have um, misspells, um, misspells or I would say autocompletes for generic terms uh, that you that people has um, that are searching in high volume. Um, so it's, uh, it's something that you would want to consider uh, with your strategy. Um, but it's, again, not surprising that ASA became this. Uh, um, I think that's the whole point in IDFA deprecation uh, is for us to be using more uh, of the tools suggested and um, we the user's nature is with high intent. So we're definitely seeing it's worthwhile for us.
1: We're getting through some really good questions that I want to ask, but I don't want to miss um, one of the things that we were talking about before um, we Actually, went live on this webinar is um, sort of the unification of tracking and ways that you could bring everything together. And I think it's such an important topic that I will get to the questions. But, um, you know, Amy, I'd love for you to talk through um, how this is possible, if it's possible, and, and what are the top tips to put that in place?
3: Um. I'll start off by saying it may only be possible in my dreams, and if anybody uh, builds uh, mobile measurement uh, platforms out there, uh, please listen to my dreams because I, I really do want this. But um, I think there's a there's some context here that I want to give about what's not going to be able to be tracked and. And just the State of the Union and then what you can do and, and, and the things and the conversations that you may be able to have with your team to try to get it to a better point than it may be now. So um, I think in general, it again, there's not only privacy changes that are happening on, in mobile and we're really focused on mobile today. There's privacy changes that are happening on the web. And um, all these privacy changes are gonna impact any tracking technology that is third party that has been created. And there are tons of them on the web and uh, less and less of them on uh, mobile. But again, there are some leaders like Adjust and Apps Fire and things like that, that we look to in terms of determining um, how we have our uh, mobile measurement protocol in place. But I think in general, where people overlook it is sometimes in the non obvious spots. So, of course, you're going to set up tracking on your user acquisition campaigns. I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't. Um, But, you know, have you thought about leveraging uh, deferred deep links or deep links through Apps Flyer or Adjust on your social pages? Because What's going to happen is potentially your social media team is doing a lot of branding and they're getting you know new users into the funnel, but they're not getting credited for that, and it it is going to get lumped in as this untracked, unknown, potentially even organic source when, in fact, you could have some linear attribution if you unified your uh, tracking platform under one MMP. So. You know, one area that we do is we look at social and, and we uh, we feel really strongly about having the same MMP links on our social pages, even though it's a completely different team than the UA team. Um, I would say it even stretches into email. Um, we do a fair amount of email at this company. And while emails aren't necessarily producing a ton of first-time users, sometimes they are because we do a lot of cross-promo at this company, but um sometimes there it's just about tracking those reattributed or re reengaged users as well and and having this kind of one system where you can look at your email your social your ua uh potentially your influencers whatever it is you have running everybody is using the same tracking platform and thus you can have somewhat of a holistic view of how um potentially different channels may be driving um, different installs um to your stores and then i think one step further working with your product team i think this is probably katie's favorite story is you know a lot of times product teams are doing referrals and if you have an extremely social game uh one that it's like you know it's there's a high likelihood of someone saying sending out an sms with a link or sending out a email or a facebook post or whatever it might be and there's a link attached and you're giving the link to the users that are like unique tracking links. A lot of times product teams aren't looking at what tracking uh, we're using in marketing and they're not realizing that, Hey, if we knew, you know, how many player to player conversions we're having and we use a unified tracking system, we could actually see the value of pushing more, uh, I would say more volume or or more users to invite their friends, we can reward them higher because we know their LTVs of the value of the users they're bringing in and and likely it's going to be really high because these players are being brought in by a personal friends. There's a connection there. So I think you got to look at all your marketing channels and you got to work with your product marketing or all of your marketing teams and say, Hey, where can we unify the tracking? And, and and can we make sure we do that? And then also in the products, where where are we not uh, potentially tracking new installs or even reinstalls where we could? And yeah, I think it's it's something really great. I, I think there's always going to be a fractured uh, web to app um, kind of measurement protocol, um, it, you know, because of the fact that web is mobile web, html five and just desktop web is going to be very hard to convert over to mobile. But I still think we should try. I still think we should try to get the tracking in place and and using one system to kind of unite them all. And therefore, you can build more dashboards and databases and queries uh, that work for all teams rather than just one singular team at a company.
1: Probably wishful thinking, but maybe scan four will be our answer to mobile web. If everyone stays on Safari, please, (laughs) please stay there. Um, But we're a while away. Um, I have uh, some really good questions coming in. I think there's time for two for anybody we don't get to, we will um, follow up. But this one is a personal uh, topic of great interest to me. It's a question from Adam about what relationship do we see between paid and organic acquisition when it comes to forecasting? For example, do you tend to expect an increase in organic when you spend more on paid? And is there a good rule of thumb for the organic increase when spending increases? Um, Sean, I want to pick on you because I know mm-hmm. we talk about this a lot, but you can
2: definitely yes. defer if not. Uh, perfect. I would love to take that because it's also an interesting question for us. We talked about it quite some time. Um, so it comes down to um, to the mix of your user base, meaning you need to understand, like if your organic is mostly composed from branded searches, then once you reduce the cost in the paid UA, you would also, your organic uh, will go down because you have less brand awareness and less less an attributions, I would say, to, to that specific channel. But it also depends on the mix of where are you spending? Let's say you're spending the majority on YouTube, let's say UAC campaigns, but uh, YouTube is getting the the highest uh, traction. Uh, YouTube users that, you know went to YouTube to see this funny cat video uh, and is seeing your ads pre-roll uh, before that are not likely to engage now because they went there to see, a different uh, type of video but you would still leave a mark if your uh, brand was awareness was high and then they would go outside of the attribution window and search for your app and then you would see uh, that once you stop spending on YouTube you have some kind of portion of organic users uh, going down so it all depends on the mix we have apps that are I would say organic because they are ranking on top key generic terms and not just, um, you know, um, getting uh, installs with the organic. And they are um, not sensitive at all to any cost reductions. They're stable. You have the same amount of organics, even if you turn on a UA campaign or turn it off you won't see any difference because they have such a sustainable uh, sources for organic traffic so it all depends on the mix and how volatile your app is to um and how sensitive it is uh, based on the the mix of the users you're buying at what stage
1: perfect um I think we can squeeze in one question, but we might have to answer this more quickly. Um, I'll go with uh, uh, our friend Eric has asked um, uh, Eric Woods uh, regarding Hi, ASA. Eric. Yeah, um, Apple now offers the ability to bid on the Today Tap campaigns. Um, as well as on search keyword keywords. How, if at all, do you see the new today tab placement influencing ASO
2: strategy? Um, okay, so I would take that as well. <laughs> um, so, kind of became really hard uh, reviewing the analytics behind um, iOS with all the recent changes of CPP, the different placements they now offer. We still don't quite know how they're gonna be funneled into like the backstage if they're gonna be um, considered um, with their own metric of browsing, paid browsing, I would say, but it's definitely, um, I would say a tool for us to leverage our brand presence. And it's even, I would say more valuable um, because we know that in-store traffic is um, is engaging a lot of our users. Uh, so we want to use that in our ASA, I would say, strategy um uh, going forward to see how we could maximize uh, the brand awareness. And it would help us also, I would say, in search. And... Um, over time because then we'll get some tractions from from their browse section. But when users would see us also in uh, organic featuring placements, it would have um, some kind of familiarity with our brand and uh, conversion rates.
1: Amazing. I'm sorry to have to cut it off. We've hit the hour mark, which I think means we're going to have to finish and i just want to thank amy shawam i've also learned a lot i feel like uh, amy you've brought out two topics that we should follow up with launching a new game going into asa in more detail so uh, we may pick on you again for this or we'll just take it offline and chat about it ourselves Thank you everyone for taking part and uh, we'll send out the recording and Brian, I saw your question and we will come back to you as well. So thank you for uh, participating with us. Thank you everyone. Take
0: care. That's a wrap on this episode of The Business of Fun. To learn more about Zynga and Chartboost and how we can help you on your mobile gaming journey, visit chartboost.com. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.